CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We appreciate you downloading our number two. Now, let me tell you about our number one of the Ben Jarofsky show today. First, the doctor starts off with the news. Yeah, we did the deep diet of a reefer. Crazy law in the city of Chicago and say you can't smoke a joint in your backyard. Come on, city of Chicago. Get your act together. Miles Camplass and the pride and joy of the Southwest side was here from in these times. We talked about the impeachment proceedings. We talked about the Democratic race uh, for president. And we also did a little Eddie Gate, a little uh, update on Eddie Johnson. And no marijuana was smoked during this segment of the Ben Jarofsky show. Oh, that is correct. So uh, check out our number one of the Ben Jarofsky show. Come October, I'll address those challenges further in my budget speech. All right, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. That's correct. Hour number two. What's so funny? <laughs> Let's go. It is Thursday, December 5th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program around here, we call him the big feller. No, we don't. Union man Ed Maher is back and making his return. It's 38th Ward Alderman Nick Spazzato. And now your host, the last thing we call him is the big feller. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Miles Complesson has left the studio. Ed Maher's in the studio. And Nick Spazzato's on his way. We have a busy day today. And then we have a couple bonus segments, D. You're going to earn your money today, huh? We got two bonus segments coming on. We have uh, Jim Coogan will be coming in talking uh, impeachment, all all things impeachment uh, with our legal expert, uh, Jim Coogan. And uh, Mr. Bike will be coming in. Dave Gloatz will be breaking down uh, all the news from the city council from last week in the budget. He has a whole bunch of of, uh, audio tape that he's going to be playing. We'll be riffing on that, so it should be a lot of fun. Bonus uh, drops for the weekend. Before I bring it on, you got any updates? Absolutely, I do here. Uh, We were talking about this earlier. Come January 1st, recreational cannabis, or reefer will be legal in the state of illinois and ben was uh, talking about how uh, there may be laws prohibiting you from smoking uh reefer or cannabis on your back porch isn't that right ben yeah, you're talking about that, that is correct well shout out to our good friend pat whalen we got a book pat whalen by the way on the mm-hmm. show again good friend pat whalen uh he weighed in here he gave us uh, sent us a, a site to 
Facebook, uh, blockclubchicago.org. You can now, or you can, boy, I'm butchering this. You can smoke weed in your backyard or, backyard or back porch and not get busted, Chicago's mayor and new top cops say. Cannabis becomes legal in Illinois on January 1st, and yes, you will be able to smoke it in your backyard. Though there's been some confusion around the laws and what will and won't be prosecuted, Chicagoans will be able to smoke weed in their backyards and on their back porches. Mayor Lori Lightfoot and interim Chicago Police Superintendent Tom Beck clarified in a statement. Oh, yeah. Charlie. And says Tom. Well, that's okay. There, there you go. It's Charlie. And so not, that's what I'm saying. There's confusion in the article, even the guy's name. Uh, but anyway, uh, so they, they're saying that that's a clarification. Yeah. Well, I think that's a response to the story that I was alluding to, a young Thomas Shuba uh, in the Sun-Times. And I'm reading you the headline in today's Bright One, my beloved Bright One, home delivered every day. Smoking pot on porches and backyards could still get tokers into trouble. So there is definitely some confusion on this. It has to be ironed out. It just sounds to me as though uh, the, the officials in the city of Chicago, having read Tom Shuba's article, uh, are trying to assure the public that this absurdity, and I call it an absurdity, that you're going to legalize marijuana. You could do it on your property. You could do it in your house. But somehow or other, you can't do it in your backyard. Uh, that's like saying, well, you can smoke cigarettes in your house, but you can't smoke them in your backyard. I mean, as long as you don't have a sign that says, hey, I'm smoking <laughs> pot over here. I don't think you're really going to, you know what I mean? Uh, How are they going to really enforce that? Well, there's a will, there's a way. And the point is, if it's on the books and you can be busted for it, uh, somebody will get busted for it. And uh, so they got to clean that up and clear that. Up. I, I guess what Lori Lightfoot is saying is, don't worry. Uh, even if the law allows us to write a ticket, or bust you for it, we're not going to do it. Yeah, so I, just get rid of the law. And stick to what you usually do when you see the cops and you're smoking weed outside. Run like <laughs> hell or hide. Go. Uh, anyway, all right. Well, thanks for that clarification. I uh, appreciate that. Ed Maher in the studio. And uh, Ed, at the top of the list, let's talk about the apprenticeship program. I have a little, uh, I have a little anecdote I want to add about this, but uh, you've talked about this in the past. So just uh, give folks the uh, information again. Yeah, no, we, we actually had our apprenticeship um, distributing applicants locations throughout the month of November and uh, that ended the Wednesday right before Thanksgiving and over the course of a month we distributed we just got the numbers and today it was uh, almost 5100 people requested and came out and picked up applications at our offices um, and again that's usually for between 100 and 200 positions so the demand for uh, for good middle class jobs is certainly there and you know I, I heard you talking to Miles a little bit about um, the alternatives to college and the need for trade schools and trade education as part of, you know, our national education policy. I think that uh, this is just demonstration. You know, any of the other folks that you have come in here that are from unions will tell you the same thing. You know, the days that we have applications available, we have lines around the building, you know, an hour before the doors open. So there are a lot of people who, who are looking for these jobs and, uh, you know, it's 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 an exciting time for us, and the the interest is very exciting because it it just means that the caliber of people that are coming into the construction industry is going to be that much higher. Well, I, I had this uh, encounter that I've been uh, t uh, sort of talking about in the without the details. I'll tell you about it right now. Uh, it was in November. It was a while back, uh, and uh, it, the long and the short of it is, my wife wanted to buy a, um, a used exercise bike. So we got it from Craigslist and a young feller showed up. It was his dad's bike. 
But this guy, I'd say he was 20, maybe 21 years old with his girlfriend, really nice kids. And they came in, they brought the bike. They were really nice. They saw me and they were like, oh, this so they They wouldn't let me c- carry the bike up the stairs because they saw some old guy, you know. It was a very nice kid. And uh, so then we started chatting. And uh, he was telling me about himself, uh, that uh, he played football. He was a high school football player. Uh, he, but college didn't work for him for whatever reason. He just didn't go for it. And um, uh, and so he now was uh, driving a truck. Uh, he was really good at driving a truck, he said. Uh, and he was working for some private company uh, hauling garbage. I forget which suburb, some mm-hmm. suburb. Uh, but he was thinking about other things he wanted to do. He didn't know the job. This didn't pay a lot of money. He was thinking about other things. So I told him about the apprenticeship. Uh, and uh, operating engineers local 150. And, and he hadn't heard of it. You know, how would he know about it? You know, I should be listening to our show. I told him about the show too. So then I went to the web, the website. Mm-hmm. I got on my phone. I, I showed him. I go download this thing because it was still he was still eligible. It was November, right? And uh, I was telling him, giving him the pitch, and he said he was going to do it. Now I haven't seen him since then. I don't know if I'll ever see him again. It was, this was one of his brief encounters. Uh, so I can't guarantee that a 20-year-old, 21-year-old will listen to my advice. I've kind of got a mixed record on that uh, on that whole aspect of things. But if there was ever a guy that this was meant for, it was this kid. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking about it because college wasn't for him. And, and that goes for a lot of a yeah. lot of young people, very, very intelligent people. College just isn't for anybody. Yeah, and so you just, what are you going to do, starve? You know what I'm saying? You got to go out and earn a living. And uh, uh, so I, I hope I hope he is one of the 5,100 uh, who applied for it. I hope he took my advice and applied for it. Um, and uh, maybe I'll track him down and find out if he did. All right, uh, let's talk about some uh, other uh, union uh, news. Uh <laughs> Google's war on unions. Uh, Google, one of the wealthiest corporations uh, in the world, uh, has decided that they don't want their employees uh, forming a collective bargaining union. Basically, give us some of the details on this. So I think it goes beyond even forming unions. But Google is uh, kind of has a history, but has also recently demonstrated that it's it's pushing back against any kind of collective action within or among its employees. Um, just before the holidays, there were um, a group of workers that were fired. It was four workers at Google, and they were fired for uh, creating a petition, uh, distributing it among other employees, asking Google not to bid on federal contracts that would uh, provide, I think it was cloud computing services to Border Patrol and ICE and other federal agencies that are enforcing, um, you know, the, the child isolation policies at the border that so many people find objectionable. So these were four employees that put together a petition and distributed among workers, and they were fired just before Thanksgiving um, for, I think it was mishandling of data is what it was. But this, um, that's, that's been a reason that workers have been fired at Google before. Um, there have been a number of social issues that Google employees have have taken stands about, uh, whether it's, um, I think, in, in, in Philadelphia, perhaps it was, there were thousands of workers that stepped out of the out of the office and shut down the office because there were executives that were being protected from um, sexual misconduct charges 
And so workers just kind of had enough. It seems that the workforce at Google is really taking a lot of collective action on, on some of these social issues and trying to bring about change in Google. Um, and that goes for, there was a project Maven, it was called. It was a project that Google was working on for the Department of Defense, where they were going to create artificial intelligence programming that would benefit uh, analyzing drone data, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the employees went berserk. They just didn't want to be any part of it. Same goes for, um, I think it was Project Dragonfly. Google was working on a censored um, web browser for China. And the employees, again, just said, we don't want any part of this. Um, and so they've been able to bring about change in, in, in a couple of ways before. So this is something that is not new to them. And more recently, there were a group of employees that were on a, um, what would you call it? I guess a retreat in Zurich. And they planned a, a meeting about employment law and labor law to sort of educate themselves and their fellow workers about what their rights were at work for organizing union or just taking collective action to bring about change. And corporate um, Google tried to block that and they were unable to do so. The workers managed to have their meeting and, uh, and Google was frankly a little bit embarrassed publicly by the fact that they made efforts to stop this and it still happened. So about a week before Thanksgiving, a firm was brought in or it was discovered and reported by Bloomberg that a firm was brought in, an anti-union, like a typical union-busting firm, uh, was brought in to, to do a union threat analysis at Google. And it was only a week after that that, uh, that these four programmers or engineers were fired. So what's kind of interesting about all this is that people who are supportive of this uh, organization of employees are not even necessarily pushing for a traditional union. You know, they're, they're largely motivated by you know, century-old labor principles that were pushed by the the Wobblies, you know, the IWW, where you don't fight for a contract that gives up your right to strike. You just use your collective power to shut down a job site or close an office or make a big move, make big, loud moves that bring about change just through um, collective action. So um, the fact that Google is pushing back against unions or back in just against collective action among their workers has drawn a lot of attention. Um, and it's something that's kind of, frankly, surprising in Silicon Valley because those jobs are typically so highly paid and uh, they're, they're so well compensated that it's, it's not a situation that workers usually find themselves in, that they're, they're seeking collective action to remedy things that are you know, potentially going wrong at work. But Google seems to, seems to have a problem on their hands a little bit. And the, these four workers are filing unfair labor practice charges with the United States Department of Labor against Google for uh, being retaliated against for completely protected lawful activity. All right, let's talk about that for a bit. Uh, what recourse, uh, let's get into that a little more specifically, what recourse do uh, employees have uh, if they're fired and they think it's for uh what unionizing active activities. Yeah, I, I understand that Google has its explanation for uh, why they fired him, mm-hmm. uh, but the employees say, no, that, that, that explanation is a contrivance and that in fact they were fired uh, because they were organizing their other workers. They were, so what uh, recourse do they have in an instant like that, instance like that? So what they're doing is they're going to the, the, um, the National Labor Relations Board and mm-hmm. filing unfair labor practice charges against Google. And it's not the first time that Google's been faced by this because 
they um, Google had to back in September they settled a case. Uh, it was a, a worker who was outspoken as a uh, he was conservative and he was very outspoken about his political beliefs, and he questioned a lot of the the liberalism of Google as an organization, and he was fired for mishandling of data. So it's the same the same thing, um, and he you know filed unfair labor practice charges and he was successful in that Google had to. Um, you know what? I'm not sure if they had to rehire him. I think they would have had to rehire him. He may not have taken the job. He may have been employed elsewhere by that point, but they would have had to offer him reinstatement. And then they have to post a notice saying that they will not infringe upon your rights as a worker. So what these workers did, these four engineers that were fired, it wasn't even necessarily uh, to do with organizing a union. It was just participating in concerted, uh, protected concerted activity. So it was just asking other workers to stand up or not. You know, we've got an opinion. We're trying to find other folks that work here who have this opinion and take action. If you agree with us, great, sign the petition. If you don't, you know, that's okay. Don't sign the petition. And they were fired for doing that. So that's why, um, you know, for, for something like that where you're wrongfully terminated, you can go through the process of filing unfair labor practice charges against Google. I mean, you can imagine that the attorneys and the, the legal firepower that they will be up against um, from Google will be, you know, very, very substantial. So the best, um, the best weapon against things like this, I would say, or I always believe, is a union. You know, uh, at, at, for example, um, Local 150, the union in which I'm a member, we have a legal department of attorneys that essentially when somebody is, is mistreated, fired without cause, um, improperly disciplined, anything like that, if it's something that, that threatens their employment or puts them out of a job wrongly, we have attorneys that handle this mm -hmm. stuff. Every single day, that's what they do. They work at Local 150, and they, they look out for our members when their rights have been violated. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, and that's sort of the, the interesting thing about the, the movement that, um, that Google is taking. You know, you can look at a traditional union, and you can look at sort of these, um, let's call them, I mean, it's, it's like the, the, um, the old-fashioned kind of activism unions, you know, where you don't fight for a contract, you fight for direct change. Mm -hmm. The problem with that, and I mean, it's, it's been tried and tested um, throughout, uh, throughout American history, but the only issue with it is that it can be tough to, tough to sustain over time. And if the movement slowly, like, slowly declines or, or gets quiet, those workers don't have a contract and are not really protected against any kind of retaliatory action, um, you know, by, by the employer. So if, if the strength of that movement dies down a little bit, a lot of the people behind it can be um, retaliated against, and there's not really a clear path to protecting them or to taking, taking recourse against that. Well, this is an interesting development uh, that you're, you're alluding to, just the whole history of organizing. And just when I look at the economy, uh, and, and, and let me just back up with this. Uh, so many people I know who work uh, in the tech industry as designers or what have you, um, they have this attitude that, uh, that they're professionals. Uh, and I, I don't mean to disparage that the, the attitude uh, that they have, but they have this notion of themselves Ed, as almost they're above just ordinary workers. There's something very creative, uh, or almost artistic mm -hmm. about them. 
Uh, and so in that way, they view themselves as entrepreneurs, and they, they would probably uh, associate themselves more with uh, a Mark Zuckerberg, the head of the outfit, uh, as opposed uh, to Jimmy Hoffa. I'm just the, I just saw the Irishman. I saw it. It's on my mind. So I just threw out the first, maybe a bad choice for labor. Although it's an excellent movie. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Yeah, I think Pacino played the hell out of Jimmy played Hoffa. The hell the hell out of it. And Ray Romano was the lawyer. Anyway, uh, let's not, let me, I, I, I don't want to go down that tangent. Bonus footage but uh but uh um so when i talk to union people i ask them well all right so if these workers uh who are very well compensated generally they they just have this instinctual uh, aversion if you will to c collective bargaining viewing themselves as a specialist so not as part of a collective entity mm -hmm. like they're unique so you can't lump them with ed or ben or dennis so what does a union say to workers like that uh, to get them to want to join a union? I mean, I think that it depends on what's going on with those workers. Workers who are, are being treated very well and have a great deal at work um, typically don't see the need for a union. Uh, you know, we've, we've run across that when we're organizing companies. I remember there was an energy company that we, um, we sought to organize from Florida. They were in town doing some, some energy work. And we took a look at the, the pay that they made and the benefits that they had and realized we couldn't compete. So it wouldn't make sense for those people to join a union um, necessarily unless they were just being um, completely mistreated or their rights on the job were being uh, completely abused. But um, everybody's got a breaking point. You can only you know, kick a lying dog so many times before it takes action, no matter who you are. One of uh, a good friend of mine who's not a big fan of unions, uh, frankly, he had a situation where his wife was off work on maternity leave. Uh, and he's a he's a banker. He you know is very successful. His wife was off work on maternity leave, and while she was off work, she was replaced. Um, somebody else got her job, and when she came back uh, in the medical field, she was going to be returned to a clinic that was known to be closing in four months. And at that point, she was going to be without a, without a job. So he told me about that. Asked if I knew anything, knew anybody who could help. Um, and uh, an attorney at Local 150 took an interest in that because he knew that it was the wrong thing. And it was just the, a terrible way to treat a worker. So he stepped up and he helped out. And he helped um, my friend's wife get her job back when she went and came back from maternity leave. And I just remember my friend telling me on the phone how unfair it was that there were federal laws that employers could just violate and, and face no recourse. Mm -hmm. And if his wife had, had um, you know, filed complaints and done things, it, it might affect her negatively in the future when she was looking for jobs. And I said, yeah, wouldn't it be something if there was like agreed upon rules that workers and employers agreed upon and had to be followed? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be great if they had some sort of recourse? You know, there are some things about unions that don't apply to everyone in every workplace, but there are some things that universally do. And there are things that unions do that, um, that, that I think everyone can can find value in, you know, just workers come there and they add value to a to a business. A business has no value without its employees, without dedicated employees. Um, and so those people need to be treated with respect. Their rights need to be, um, you know, abided by and protected. And at some point, everybody's got a breaking point. There's only so much that anybody will take. Um, and I mean, with with Google employees, the um, the average full time salary for a Google employee is almost one hundred and thirty thousand mm -hmm. um, dollars, and that includes every level of employee. The 
sort of the the tech graduate, let's say, um, averages closer to like 250, 250,000. One of the reasons that there's been so much collective action among the employees is that the workforce is only about half full-time employees. Half the workforce at Google is contractors. And those contractors are making, you know, probably 40 per, or 30% less than full-time employees without benefits and things like that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kept as contractors with promises of uh, becoming full-time employees for sometimes years, and then there will be a quick reorganization, and they're gone. Um, and if you're a contractor, that's a terrible deal because all of a sudden you've been promised something, promised something, and it doesn't come through. And if you're a full-time employee, it's a problem because they've got a second-tier workforce. Mm -hmm. Half of their workforce is doing the same work for a lot less money. So workers are sort of competing against each other. Um, So this this notion of of contractors versus full-time and the two-tier workforce that I've talked about with you before, um, I mean, that's that's something that's a real problem for some of these tech firms as their contracted workforces continue to grow. Well, I, I, I may have mentioned this. I know I've mentioned on the show. I don't know if I mentioned it with, with you. I may have mentioned it with Ryan Kelly. Uh, my son-in-law in California is organizing, trying to organize Lyft and Uber uh, drivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that is, they've made some uh, strides. I just saw them over Thanksgiving. They've made some strides. It's it's a long, difficult process, trust me. But it gets to that issue of contractors because they're they're treated as uh, independent contractors. When you sort of look in your crystal ball, what do you think are the industries that are ripest uh, for unions? Because I think for union, the union movement to uh, to continue, it, it it just can't be limited to the workforces. Uh, that are already union uh, unionized that i think there has to be growth i think that areas that are not in the unions like google that would i mean that would be amazing google or apple or any of these high-tech firms so when you look you know when you look down the road maybe 10 15 years what do you think of the areas of the workforce that are ripest for uh, union organizing i mean i think tech companies are a little bit challenging because again those uh, currently those positions are so highly paid that it might be difficult to encourage uh, or incentivize unionism to employees who think that they've got a pretty good deal and they think they can get a better deal on their own and um, you know, sometimes you come across that as a, as a union organizer and, and, and so be it. Sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I mean, I think healthcare is something, is an industry that in the worst recessions, healthcare continues to expand. You know, back in 2010 in construction, nothing was being built. Mm-hmm. There were no 7-Elevens. There were no, um, you know, office buildings. Nothing was being built except for hospitals and um retirement communities and, and memory care facilities and things like that. There's so much wealth in the healthcare industry and so much employment and so much growth under the current system um, that, that they are always complaining about the need for more healthcare workers, right? But the healthcare workers that are out there, I think we all know a nurse who works, um, you know, 50 hours a week and doesn't make as much money as, as they should. They pick up shifts and, um, you know, a nurse is a, a, my mom's a nurse, my sister's a nurse, is one of the most honorable professions I can think of. I have a lot of love for nurses. And every nurse that I know is always talking about how there's a shortage, a massive shortage, but it doesn't lead to any sort of additional compensation for them. Sometimes it's, you know, if you want to work 80 hours this week, you can, and that'll stop us from having to hire another nurse. So I think in healthcare across the board, that's a big one. Um, and then there's been such a migration of traditional employee, employees to, um, to the gig economy, whether it's consulting or driving Uber, driving Lyft. 
the benefits of full-time employment are not really there anymore. You know, you, you can't go and take a nine to five and have fully paid healthcare and uh, a, a really solid retirement plan. And so people are either looking at that as, you know, I can come here and work in an office and get kind of, you know, subpar benefits and have to be here at a certain time and clock out at a certain time and wear certain clothes and, and all that. Or I can uh, sleep until noon, watch Netflix until <laughs> 10 and then drive an Uber all night, yeah. make money, have insurance, but have, you know, a sense of personal freedom. And there are a lot of people that go that route. I mean, I, I forget what the figure is, but every year MetLife does a, uh, an, an employment benefit survey. And in 2018, I won't even cite the number, but it's a, it's a massive portion of the full-time workforce. I think it's a, more than a quarter of it plans to leave the full-time workforce for the gig economy in the next five years just yeah. because uh, the, the freedom the is freedom. There. Yeah, but the, you pay for that freedom. No, freedom is not free, my friends. Uh, <laughs> uh, you pay for, for it with sure. lower wages. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Nick Spisato, the legendary Nick Spisato, is in the studio. We're going to bring him up. Big union guy, by the way. He's one yes, of the sir. things Nick and I see eye to eye on. One of the few things we still see eye to eye on. Uh, and before I bring him on, I, I do want to, uh, even though I'm banned from talking about sports, uh, Dennis will allow me to ask a movie question. So I saw The Irishman. Yeah. I love The Irishman uh, immensely. I'm probably going to watch it again. I saw it on the big screen, and mm-hmm. then I'm going to watch it on Netflix. It's a good one. Uh, it's a great flick. I urge everybody. We've already done a uh, special uh, bonus e- episode. Go download it at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites yeah. or wherever else you download podcasts. Thank you, young Dennis. Uh, we're, he's good. Uh, he's good. That's yeah. correct. That's right, Robert Mueller. Uh, t- uh, two other film geeks, and I just talk uh, mob movies, Irishmen for an hour. It's So it's a great movie. But one of the things, the labor aspect of it, uh, where, where they were showing Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino, in his prime. And his appeal, Ed Maher, was like the way Jimmy, the character Jimmy Hoffa, I literally was Ed Al Pacino, so I'll just say Al Pacino instead of G. The way he talked is, I don't, it, it's like a, a, a union spirit that it's, it, it, it sounded old, but it, I thought it would work in this time. Like he was Teamsters, and we, we control the highways. We're the ones who deliver the goods. We're the people who do the work. You're going to respect us, people. That's how he was talking. And I found that very moving and compelling. And every course, all the, the actors who were pretend, playing Teamsters in the movie, yeah, Jimmy, this and that. And that. Do you think that kind of rhetoric still works in the 21st century, uh, in the age of Donald Trump? And, or do you think that's just old-fashioned 1940s, 1950s rhetoric? I think the the things that that's challenging about that, and every worker would love to be reminded that they are not just a, a small cog in a machine, or if they are a cog in a machine, take a cog out of a machine and see how well it works. You know, everybody is, plays a vital role, and um, when we act together, um, you know, we can we can make a big difference. So I think that one of the issues with the labor movement is. 20 years ago, everybody that was in a union had, or everybody that, let's say, um, was sympathetic toward unions were sympathetic because they had an uncle that was in a union or a dad or a brother or something like that. There's a generational aspect to unions that that builds um, support for them. And as union density has continued to decline across the country over the years, that's lost. And it takes generations to rebuild. But one of the things that I think is so powerful about what unions do today, and it's a message that we... It's something that we do, but we just don't talk enough about, um, is that we provide equality in the workplace, whether you're a man or a woman or gay, straight, Christian, Muslim, whatever. If you're an electrician, a male electrician makes this amount of money, a female makes the same exact amount of money. 
um, you know, we've, there, there's a place for everyone. Um, and I think in a, in a society where we're starting to try to move past discrimination in the workplace across all discriminating features, I think that's a very unique thing um, that unions can offer and that, that we, that we have offered. You know, I, I always say that the best um, protection against wage discrimination is a union contract. Uh, well, you know, uh, I, I always say that uh, no businessman in the, or businesswoman in the world would enter an agreement without a contract protecting their rights. That's why right. I would say when the teachers want to strike, it's like people are saying, well, L- Lori said she's going to hire the nurses, you know, in the schools. So I'm like, well, put it in writing then, you know, yeah. I mean, if it's good enough for uh, uh, a businessman cutting a deal with the city, it should be good, when, good enough. When for Sean workers. Hannity trashes unions, I always like to think. Um, why does Sean Hannity make what he makes? Is he going and asking for raises? I don't think so. He's he's paying an agent yes. to go and do that, and he pays an agent a percentage of whatever he makes, uh, and that's obviously a good enough deal for folks in in at the entertainment industry. Um, and when they push things like right to work, it always makes me wonder if that agent, um, you know, if 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 Sean Hannity told that agent that he wasn't going to pay him, that he wanted to negotiate those wages, <laughs> yeah, right. give me a big good contract, but I'm not going to give you your percentage, you'd be told to go pound sand, and rightly so. Uh, absolutely. All right, Ed Meyer, yeah. uh, I'm going to let you go. we got Nick Spisato on deck, ready to bring him on, talk local politics uh, with Nick Alderman, Nick Spisato. So, Ed, I probably won't see you. Have a happy New Year, new, uh, happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, and a happy New Year. Yeah, I got to you as well. You too, Dennis and Alderman. All right, very good. That's Ed Maher, Nick Spazzato on deck. We'll bring him on. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. We are bargaining finally. After 10 months, we're passing proposals back and forth. Um, it's moving. The teacher's contract is really not that sexy, y'all. Right? It's not. It, it involves a lot of things that the average person will never understand about a teacher's day. And so those are the things that we're doing at the table right now. Look, it took 10 months to get here. We're here. It's taken a lot of time. It is a huge inconvenience for the entire city of Chicago. It is deeply frustrating to everyone on this side of the bargaining table, and we're finally bargaining. Look, the fact of the matter is, if the mayor gets out the way, if her lawyers at the table that she 
she sent just recently get out the way, then we can actually get a deal. We are working with educators. You know, the folks, when, when there's momentum at the table, the educators are in charge of the table from our side and on the CPS side. We may not agree on everything, and yet there's still movement, energy, and momentum. If her bargaining team, especially those who are educators on that team, are able to do the work, we can get a settlement done. Hey guys, commercial break's over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Nick Spazzato was in the studio. Nick Spazzato was in the studio, the pride and joy of 38th Ward in the northwest side of Chicago. And uh, we're ready to uh, tackle all the topics of the day, including happy holiday. I've, Nick's already banned me from saying happy holiday. <laughs> well, guy, guy comes in, he starts barking out orders to poor Ed Maher. Don't say happy holiday. I'll tell you what. These aldermen, I got too much power, D. But before we bring Nick on, you got an update? Someone's got to keep you on your toes. That's correct. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Bob Mueller. Okay. All right. First off, uh, well, we're all on the same page again. All right. The Chicago Sun-Times, the one and only Fran, the Woe Man Spielman, and Sun-Times reefer writer Tommy Shuba Tommy. have confirmed it. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, an interim Chicago police superintendent, Intended Charlie Beck. Yeah, okay. Not Tom Beck. <laughs> yeah, Charlie Beck. Not sure Beck. why they put that in there. Uh, they issued a statement Thursday clarifying the CPD's new pot enforcement plan after the Sun Times reported that Chicagoans could still be ticketed for using marijuana in backyards or on porches or balconies that are visible to the public when the drug is legalized next month. We have the quote here. Uh, let's see. It says here the Chicago Police Department recognizes that an individual using cannabis in their own backyard yard or balcony poses no direct threat to public safety and no resident should be arrested or ticketed solely for such a scenario the statement reads all right should be that i'd like to see that shit look i thank you tom schuber for writing that if tom schuber hadn't written that in the sun times today my beloved bright one uh they wouldn't have made that clarification and uh so i'm going to say what i think in this i would love to hear what nick Spazzato has to say on this so i'm going to tell you what my position is nick and get your response if you're going to have marijuana legal if you're going to say uh reefer is legal in the city of chicago okay in the state of illinois then who is the police department or Lori Lightfoot or the governor or anybody else to tell me I can't light up a joint in my backyard. They say, oh, Ben, you could do it in your kitchen, but not your back. Makes no sense. Nick Spazzato, your thoughts on I this? agree with you on that one. I, I don't know where that one came from. I don't know why you couldn't smoke it in your own yard. So uh, just to let you know, I never, ever smoked pot in my life. And you know I grew up in the 70s. But uh, Wait a I minute. Say, Hold it. Yep, Hold it. Yes. Nick Spazzato. Yes. You never and smoked. I are about the same age. Yes, we are. And I never smoked. you never smoked a joint. Never smoked a joint. I, never even tried a joint. So I'm proud to say that. What high school did you go to? Holy Cross. I know there were kids at Holy Cross smoking oh, reefer. Almost all the kids were smoking in the, in the, in the mid, uh, mid-70s. Why didn't so. you smoke? I, you know what? I think, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I never wanted to disappoint my parents. I was drinking in high school. Wait a minute, time out. So your parents didn't care about you drinking? No, no, they would care. But I mean, if they if they caught me drinking, it'd be like, you know, you shouldn't be drinking. But, you know, doing drugs, then, you know, they would have been, I think, a little more devastated. See, so. that right there. My brothers did, but I didn't. God so. bless your brothers. Yeah. Uh, and the, the older Spazzato brothers? I'm the oldest. My number two brother and my number three brother smoked pot and cigarettes. And I never did either, so. Oh, I never, a, a cigarette has never, I've never smoked a cigarette. I just, I've just been turned off by them. Ever since I smell one, repulsive. Uh, I, I I must confess, Nick, we're in a confessional stage of the show. I was a heavy uh, reefer smoker for about three years, late seventies, and uh, and then I just 
it's just I don't know, stopped doing it. But I love talking about it immensely. I love watching. Yeah, well, most, uh, most of my fine. friends did, and I'd be with them, and we'd be hanging out. And but I never, never indulged. Wow, well, I just my I've said this so many times. Uh, what really bothered me? There's so many things that bothered me about the the war on drugs and making uh, marijuana illegal. But the utter hypocrisy of it was really what gnawed at me, Nick. The fact that, like you said, you knew people, uh, law-abiding people on the northwest side of Chicago who were smoking reefer. You knew them. You went to high school with them, blah, blah, blah. But our country pretended as though there was something wrong with it, and they made it illegal. So the other people got arrested and went to jail for it. And I just, I could never abide by that. I always, the hypocrisy of the war on drugs really irritated me. What, what's your reaction to that? I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, when you think of what goes on coming across the border and that kind of stuff with the war on drugs, and I've always felt, you know, what's the difference with getting high from drinking or getting high from smoking pot? So I always felt, why not legalize it and decriminalize it? So, but it never happened for whatever reason. Um, maybe it was a financial thing. I'm not sure. I mean, not that it's legal. I mean, illegal pot's going to be even bigger than legal pot is, of course. Now it's going to be bigger than it's ever been because they're not going to want to pay three times the amount for the legal pot that they, that they could pay for the illegal stuff. And like I say, I, I didn't know this. You guys gave me a newsflash about you couldn't smoke pot in your yard without potentially being arrested. So, because then how are they going to clarify if you're smoking illegal or legal pot for one thing? But you're on the privacy of your own property, so if it's legal now. I, I, I guess that would be a pretty good court challenge. Maybe we have to bring an attorney in here and talk about that, the legal and illegalities of it, smoking it on your, in your own yard. Well, I, uh, Tom Shuba, who covers the marijuana, the cannabis uh, beat for the Sun-Times, wrote that story today. Apparently, it was the law was ambiguous, and then immediately, and that's what Dennis was pointing out, uh, Mayor Lightfoot and, and Charlie Beck issued a clarification that they're not going to be enforcing this, which leads to a whole other situation, which is there's a difference between having something uh, that can be enforced uh, and then not enforcing, if you follow what I'm saying. In other words, if well, then just clean up the law so it can't be enforced at all, but this is the ambiguous state. Uh, but at the at very least, I think that most people agree that it's absurd to say that marijuana is legal, but you can't smoke it in your backyard. So I think that's what Lori Lightfoot is trying to distance herself from that. All right. Uh, Nick Spazzato is the alderman of the 38th Ward. Formerly the 36th Ward. Formerly the 36th Ward. That Get is it right, great. Ben. Uh, and, uh, First guy ever, two different wards. Uh, yes. That No, I got it right. He's currently the alderman right. of the 38th Ward. Like they had the formerly thirty six formerly thirty six ward, yeah. He and was, the first fireman ever elected to the city council. Are your brothers firefighters too? I had one brother. My middle brother is a retired firefighter now. So okay, and um, and I am a retired firefighter now also. So. You are retired. I officially retired on the uh, on the thirtieth of November. It was just a formality. It was just more symbolic. But I've been on leave of absence for all these years, and at sixty three, I would age out, and I'm sixty one. So. I just made it official. I officially retired. All right. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Nick Spazzato. 1,100 likes on Facebook, 500 comments about my retirement. So. Wait, 1,100 likes? What were the five? Were they mostly positive? Every, I couldn't believe it. Every, there was no negative, nobody making accusations, nothing. Every, every comment was positive. So. All right. So as I explain when Nick come, uh, comes on the show, uh, generally my show goes from Joe Biden uh, to Bernie Sanders. Okay. 
Uh, believe it or not, Nick, uh, Nick Spazzato was on the other side of Joe Biden. He's even more conservative than Joe Biden. Well, uh, Joe, Joe Biden uh, claims to not be conservative, but he's not a he's not a centrist anymore. Now he's a now he, now he's a big time lefty. So. Good. And that's going to be a, that's gonna be a problem for him. So I, I welcome him to the fold, and I will welcome Nick Spazzato to the fold. Yeah. I keep telling Nick I'm going to convince him. Well, uh, that, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> I, I don't know, Nick. I, I kind of see you bending on that uh, the legalizing reefer thing. Uh, so I maybe get you on other uh, other ways. But uh, I'll say this. I always say, well, uh, everybody has a Trump friend in their life. Uh, and Nick voted for Donald John Trump in 2016. Did not follow can, my advice. Can, 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 I, can I clarify my vote? Go ahead. I voted against Hillary. Okay. okay? I think when you said I voted, the last time. When I voted for Bernie, I voted against Hillary. When I voted for Donald Trump, I voted against Hillary. Wait, time out. I forget this. I always forget this. You voted for Bernie Sanders in the 2016? Yes, I did. I voted. I told you I voted against Hillary. The one thing I like about Bernie a lot is he doesn't He doesn't try to be something that he's not. You know where he is and where he stands. And I can respect people for that. Well, I agree with you 100%. I, I don't agree for- with him. Well, all right. If it was Bernie Sanders right now versus Trump, who would you vote for? Oh, easy. Trump. Why? Look at what's going on with the economy. Look at how uh, people are working. Uh, the markets, what, what's going on with the markets, just uh, things have been good. Is he a knucklehead? Yes. Does he say knucklehead stuff? Yes. But for the most part, this country's in pretty good shape for the past three years. What about all the people who don't have health care insurance? That's what Bernie's fighting for. What about all those people? But, but don't free, they- well, I mean, I'd like to help people, but I, I, I don't know that we could... We can give everybody free health care in this country. I mean, I don't have the answer for that. That's a very tough one. I feel for people. I'm a very generous, compassionate person, but I don't know how we can just give everybody free health care in this world. Well, let's forget about giving everybody free health care right now. Donald John Trump and has his Justice Department lawyers in court uh, on the side of a movement in Texas to eradicate Obamacare. So this is even this is even adding to what we have. Uh, Nick, this is just keeping what we have. If he prevails, if he's successful uh, in in this election and prevails at the court, and he pretty much controls the Supreme Court these days, there won't even be Obamacare. So how could you, in good conscience, vote for a guy who's trying to eradicate what we already have? Well, well, you have to you have to pick and choose. I mean, it's not, I can't. You can't be a single single topic voter. All right. So some people are. My family is very pro-life, and they're all they care about is you know pro-life, anti-abortion. That's the only reason what they would vote for somebody for if they're pro-life or if they're anti-abortion. I try to tell them sometimes, even though I'm you know anti-abortion, I'm not a single issue voter. So I look at a lot of things. So you have to put everything together and and figure out where I stand and who I think will be best. My union is back in Joe Biden, and I was like, okay, I'm going to be with Joe Biden. But Joe Biden, he is losing it. He is out of control. He's trying to be somebody he's not. And you know. I actually, uh, it is funny you should say that. You you are really on the right side of the spectrum for you to come. Do you know how many people come into this show and rip Joe Biden? Well, I'm not ripping he, him. No, no, no. Wait, I mean, let me I want to support him. But. Yeah, but they rip him because he's too conservative in there. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you thought, should have been here for miles. I'm trying <laughs> to say he's trying to be too liberal when he's really not liberal. He's a centrist, and now he's trying to act like something he's not. You know, and my, my union came out with an early endorsement for him, so I'm like, okay, I guess I'll back who my union's backing. But, you know, he's spiraling out of control as far as I'm concerned. One of the first things, uh, the 
firefighters union is uh, uh, what uh, Nick is alluding to. And Trump immediately said, well, most firefighters are going to vote for me. I don't care what their union says. Do you agree with Trump on that point? Uh, I, I tell you the truth. From what I know about firefighters, I, I, I think he's right. Yes. Firefighters be. and policemen. Oh, oh, I'm guessing if it if you polled every firefighter and policeman somehow, some way throughout America, uh, I guess they would be voting for Trump. So sometimes, you know, you put the union stuff aside and, and you're worried about the country thing a little bit more. Um, I had a friend of mine that was campaigning this past week, going door to door and running for Democrat in a state rep race. And he said they were getting, you know, the door slammed in their faces because Registered Democrats are telling that the Democrats are, are ruining this country. So I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't there, you know, but that's what he told me. Wait, him. so this this guy's running. Democrats are ru- ruining the country? That's what he told me. He was running as Democrat that registered Democrats are. Listen, believe it or not, most of my friends are Democrats, but they're like, it's getting harder and harder and harder to say you're a Democrat. Wait, time out. Believe it or not, you used to be a, you were I a Democratic I still am a Democrat. I still am Democrat. I mean, I, 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 I voted, I pulled a Democratic ballot. I'm 61 years old since my first election was when I was 18. I've never, ever pulled a Republican ballot. 95% of the people I vote for are Democrats. You know, president's a little bit different, you know, voted for uh, uh, John McCain the first time, uh, first time around with Obama. You know, obviously I voted for Trump, you know, against Hillary. So. And then did you vote for uh, Mitt Romney against Obama? No. You voted for Obama. Now, what did Obama do in that first term? Nothing. He didn't do anything but look at the alternative. It's just like right now with the Democrats against Trump. You have, you know, what, what was your choice? I mean, come on, really? I mean, this is what we want? I mean, first of all, our votes in Illinois really doesn't make a difference as far as, far as I'm concerned. We know it's going to be, you know, heavy Democrats. So, Well, well I disagree with that point. Really? And I'll, t- yeah, I'll tell you why. Huh. Uh, and I understand that a lot of people view it the way that you do, Nick. Uh, and I, I totally think the Electoral College is a, a, a sham and should be abolished. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And by the way, if it was the other way you around. Want, you want five states to control this country? No, I want the people of the United States, a majority. Okay. Okay. In the city council. Let me ask you this. In the Chicago city council, you need 26 votes to pass something. Am I correct in that? Correct. If we had an electoral college system in the Chicago city council, they would say, well, we'll just let the 13th ward and maybe the 19th, the 19th and the 40th. Those three wards will get to determine and all the others will have to be like minority. So that's not fair. In fact, if they ran the National Football League the way we uh, run the election, the Bears would be in first place because you, even when you lose, you would win. So the, 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 port, the, the New England Patriots would be in last place because they've been winning, but their state doesn't have enough electoral Was this votes. your feeling all along or just Absolutely. after the last election? Okay. No, no. I woke up in 2000. Yeah. Not the last election. Yeah. I woke up in 2000. I don't know where you were. You, you were uh, 19, 2000, you were following politics. You weren't elected I've been following official. politics since, you know, 1978 when right. I for, got involved in an in aldermanic election in the 36th Ward. For 10 trivia points, who were the candidates in 2000 for president? Uh, two, the, the, what, when you say the candidates? There were two. Uh, president, the Republican, a Republican and a Democrat, Democrat would have been. Come on, um, young man. It would have been. Um, you don't even Bush? Have, well, I, I know Bush, but I'm trying to think of baby Bush. Who the Republican was uh, no, the right, Democrat was. Who the Democrat was? It was Al Gore. Oh, okay, I thought it was the, the second time around, so yeah. the first time. Baby was. Bush versus baby Bush. Al Gore, and uh, Al Gore won the election, 
And because of this electoral Al Gore did not win the election. Well, he won the popular vote. Okay. Okay, right? Well, again, we'll go to the city council. In the city council, should we have an electoral system? Ten votes would pass an ordinance in face of 40 no votes. How is that fair? You know, when it's a good crusade for you to take on and try to (laughs) convert things what our forefathers said from, you know, hundreds of years ago. Well, that was a compromise that they made in 17, what, 87 or something like that. Yeah. We had slavery back then. We correct our mistakes in this country when okay. we, you know, like a pencil has an eraser on okay. the end of it, Nick. All right. So you, you agree with me that the Electoral College should be abolished? No. Would it, would it, if it was the other way around and Donald John Trump? No, no I, I just think, you know, when I was young and dumb, I thought, you know, why would we not have a popular vote? Why would we go by electoral college? But as I got smarter and wiser <laughs> in life, I realized there's a purpose of an electoral college, uh, I and I see. think it works. I wouldn't want, and I'm not saying it because they're liberal states, you know, California, New York, to run the country, you know. But so. it's not the states that run the country, it's the voters. I that, know. That's like saying uh, because the votes you- from that state. Well, so what? There's okay. Trump voters in that state as I know, well. I know. And so, uh, you know, that's like saying because you live in the 41st ward, your vote doesn't count as much as the vote of somebody who lives in the 22nd. That's what it is. Do you know how many times this happened in our history of elections by chance? Well, it's happened twice in this century. Okay. Twice in my lifetime. Yeah, so I thought it's twice, period, but okay. I, I'm not sure, but yeah. I, I think it's twice. And I was asking a serious question if you knew. I thought it was twice in our forever. Uh, there's Frank out there. I think there was another election, uh, but I'm not quite sure. I know it's happened twice in my life. The first time it happened, I said, this has to change. But then, see, Democrats, they don't fight like Republicans, Nick. Republicans fight hard. Democrats roll over. Could you imagine, just imagine, if it had been reversed? And Hillary Clinton had prevailed at the Electoral College, but had uh, lost the popular vote. Do you think for one minute that Donald John Trump would have tolerated that? Do you think Mitch McConnell would have? Well, Donald, Donald Trump would have had to tolerate because he would have just been citizen Trump at the time. So. Well, they'd be fighting like hell mm. and the court of popular opinion to change things. Don't you agree? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, people have strong opinions about it, and I respect people's opinions, but I kind of like it the way it is. I think it's a good system. So. All right. We'll just have to agree to okay. disagree on that's that right. one. That's for sure. All right. Let's move on to some local stuff. Uh, I call it Eddie Gate, uh, Eddie Johnson. Uh, was uh, fired, I guess, the other day. It wasn't quite clear it was if it happened immediately. I thought originally, uh, Nick, when you texted me when I was, uh, we were texting on uh, Monday that he'd been fired, but then apparently he's Well, we weren't texting about him. We were texting about me coming on the show. Yeah, but at the time I said, we're going to talk about Eddie Gay. Oh, at right. that time, yeah, I thought right. he was fired. So anyway, whatever, he was forced out. Right. Uh, so what's your just general reaction to what, how it went down, how it played out? I mean, I don't know. I don't have all the facts. I don't know all the facts. I, I will tell you, Eddie's a dear friend of mine. I think Eddie did a great job. I don't ever think anybody should be, and Eddie wrote a, a wonderful letter uh, to the other paper um, about you know how he thinks People should be judged on the whole of what they do, not at their their worst point of their life ever. So that's kind of how I feel about Eddie. I'm not. I I didn't grow up this way to kick a friend when he's down. So I will never ever say anything bad about Eddie Johnson. I never said anything bad about uh, Gary McCarthy. So I mean, these guys were friends of mine. I respected them both of them tremendously. So um, I, I you know I'm not happy about the way it went out. I don't know all the facts. You're hearing all these kind of rumors. I guess soon enough we'll be seeing the video and this and that and 
you know, and then we'll know a little bit more. But, you know, maybe the mayor didn't have a choice. I don't know. I just I just don't like the way it went down. So I don't like the way it went down either. Uh, and I was not particularly. Uh, well, first of all, Eddie Johnson, when he got the job, they bent the rules when he got the job. Because well, were, they is me. That was us because there was no candidates out there, no decent candidates. So somehow, some way, Mayor Emanuel, somebody told him or he researched or ever found this guy, Eddie Johnson. And, um, yeah, we bent the rules. I'm guilty as charged. All right, and so the rules were bent. I think one person voted against bending rules, and that was uh, Patrick Thompson. So He, he voted. There was one person. He voted. didn't think it was right to bend the rules. All right, right so just so everybody knows, uh, because not not everybody would know this, the rules that, that govern how a police chief is chosen is that the police board recommends three candidates uh, who've applied uh, to uh, the mayor, and the mayor selects one of those three. Whoa, 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 whoa hold on. It's not three who applied. It's whittled down to the final three. Valid point. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a process. Uh, like the, They used to do this with school, the school board nominating commission for a, a, a school superintendent. Same principle. Anyway, the mayor chooses three. Mayor Rahm decided that he didn't want to. Kopov chooses three, and then he. Then he, out of the three, he yeah, picks the one. Yeah, the mayor chooses from those three, and uh, he decided he didn't like any of the three, and he wanted and he encouraged Eddie Johnson to apply, and he chose Eddie Johnson. So, as you said, the rules were broken. I feel the rules were broken when he was fired. I don't think he got his due process. I don't yeah. think it was. I, I think it was like a. I mean, <laughs> I haven't seen any evidence pre- presented. It was just all of a sudden announced that he had lied uh, in the newspaper, uh, and he's gone. So I kind of feel like coming and going, the rules were bent. Your response? Um, yeah, I guess I don't know about the going part. I mean, I do know about the coming part. Yes, we did bend the rules. Uh, once again, I'm not going to pile on my friend, and I consider him a good friend. I talked to him today. Um, Eddie and me will always be friends. I'm, I'm just really sorry the way things went down. You know, she feels that she didn't have any other choice other than to do the way she did it. You know, it would have been nice if maybe Eddie would have said with the new mayor, new mayor, I understand what's going on. You know, f- start your search. I'm going to be leaving. I mean, you, you could second guess this over and over and over. But, you know, uh, people are making accusations about, you know, what he was doing, who he was with. I don't know. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm going to tell you one thing. And my wife knows this. I am out with the girls in my office way, way, way more than my wife. My wife doesn't want to go anywhere with me. She doesn't want to do anything. She's not into that political thing. The girls in my office, they'll always, one of them, if I need somebody, they'll go with me. So if I'm out and I was drinking and driving or something and I got pulled over and they're going to say, oh, Nick Spazzato's out with his girl. No, it's not my girlfriend. She's my friend. They're my friends. My girls in my office, they are my best friends, okay? We are good friends, all of us. So we're a family in my office. So, uh, but, you know, the media would just twist things around and try to, you know, make me look bad in my family and whatever. So I'm just say, let's wait and see what happens. I did call the inspector general yesterday to see if he could tell me anything. I'm, I'm guessing he would say he couldn't have commented on it. I didn't hear back from him, so. Well, he hasn't gotten back to you. No, he Yeah, I, and I, 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 on that last point, uh, absolutely, that report in my humble opinion, if there is a report that makes allegations against Eddie Johnson, and that's a, a report that was compiled by a public employee who's paid for, for with our tax dollars, uh, tax dollars, Nick, that you and I contribute to, uh, that should be public. So if you're, if you're going to fire him based on a report 
the report should be publicized. That's what I'm saying, bending the rule. They say they're fixing things up in this town, Nick, and when they fix things up, it seems like it's still the rules are getting bent. We try to do better all the time, okay? I think things are better now than they were 10 years ago. I think 10 years ago they were better than they were 20 years ago. I think you, you and me could agree on that. So. Oh, well, no, actually, I think everything's been downhill since Harold Washington no, left office. Okay. I'm a big Harold Washington fan. Uh, that was a long time. Firemen ago. loved him, by the way. As well they should. Oh, yeah, right. Know? And, yeah, right. Uh, as well they should. He was very good to uh, yeah. municipal yeah. employees. And Eugene Sawyer. Both of them were... Absolutely. And yet they didn't vote for him when they had a chance in 1989. They voted for Richie Daly. Uh, I have many friends who are in the police department. I always tell them, you should have voted for Sawyer. I told you to vote for Sawyer, but you didn't listen to me. You voted for Richie Daly. Well, patronage was a big thing for, you know, the southwest and the northwest side. So they're like, you know, you're going to lose your job if, you know, if this guy gets in. So, well, they. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah, there were too I, many rules uh, regulating that. All right, let's get. But people to, did live in fear of their jobs, you know, 25, 30 years ago. So. All right, let's talk about uh, Mayor uh, Lightfoot's budget. Uh, it passed. What was the score? I think it was thirty-nine th- to eleven. Very good for knowing that thirty-nine to eleven, which was different than the fifty to nothing uh, that Mayor Rahm got his yeah, first. I think budget. the mayor only got yeah his first one first was budget. fifty to nothing, yeah, 50, but I don't budget. think any others were fifty yeah. to nothing. So, so w- what's different now uh, from then? That I, I don't know what's different now, but here's just my opinion about stuff. So when we have our meetings, I don't care if you vote yes or if you vote no. If you feel it's an educated guess. If you're actually at the meetings, you're being informed. And even though it's none of my business, I have a problem with my colleagues that voted either yes or no that were non-existent and go to any meetings. We're not there. That, to me, is what's wrong. Like I said, once again, none of my business. I had, there was many aldermen that were hardly there or even never there, and they either voted yes or no, and I don't see how you could vote yes or no on that. But, you know, that's your prerogative to do what you want. I think the newbies, I, did, I tried talking one of them, I knew he was going to be a no, and I'm not going to be mentioning any names here. I tried talking him out of it to say, look, you're new. Just, I just think you should vote yes for this, even though you have your issues with it. You can make your little speech. You could say, I'm a, you know, I don't like this, that, and the other thing, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt this time. Just moving forward. I said, that's just some advice. If you vote against the next three, now you'll be more educated. You'll be more informed. This is, a, this is, a, this is an easy thing for average guys to try to figure out, not, you know, not being financial guys or budget directors or anything. You know? Nobody really knows if they made, certainly nobody has said yes, knows if they made the right decision. I mean, a no, a no vote is an easy way out, I feel, because you can say, well, at least I didn't support that. I wasn't for it, so. Well, uh, the other hand, if it proves to be a great budget, then you have to confess. Nobody's going to hold it against you if it was a great budget. This is like, okay. You know, Nick. If it's a bad budget and you voted for it, that's what they're going to remember. I, I hear what you're saying. Does that, does, listen, could you think anybody, anybody yeah. in this city could tell you the five people that voted against the parking meter deal? No. I can. You can well, <laughs> maybe you're an exception then. Right. You, you want me to do it right now? Yeah, let's see here. <clears throat> Scott Wagesbeck. Yes. Tony Preckwinkle. Yeah. Leslie Hairston. Yes. Uh, uh, Billy Ocasio. Oh, I thought you would forget him. Okay, uh, come you, on. you got it. Then. And Ray Colon. Okay, you got it. The I big thought five. Baby. I thought you would forget Ocasio. Your good friend and, Joe and, Moore and, did and what, not voted for it. And what, what does everybody else say? Oh, they didn't know. They were lied to. They, they, they can't even own up to saying making a wrong decision. Well, I thought it would be the right thing to do. It's like, oh, he didn't give us the information, and we couldn't get it, and we had a you know a 24-hour notice. Instead of just owning up and saying, hey, look, I was looking at the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and I made a mistake. Yeah. But, but I blame the 
Marathon. Uh, and uh, just so people know, Nick Spazzato, you cannot blame the parking meter deal on him. He was not an alderman back, uh, what was it, 2009, 08? I, I've lost track uh, of time. 09, I believe. 09. I got in in 11. Yeah, you got in in 11. And, and, and my, just to know, my, my first four years, I was like a top five and, you know, not uh, with, with no votes. So, no, I'm gonna. I, I mean, people, I wasn't a rubber stamp by any stretch of the imagination, and I, 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 it didn't didn't bother me to be a lone no vote over. Some, I'm not talking necessarily budgets. I only voted against one budget, and that was more symbolic, and that was for one thing because I didn't think the city was taking the lack of hiring more police officers serious. And I let them know. I'm like, look, here's my problem. We're not doing anything about hiring more police officers, so I'm voting no, and this is why. And what year was that? It doesn't first, matter. My just, first one was a seven, so that, see, that was, I'm sorry, it was 11, so it was 12. And that's why I would. 13 budget, yeah. That's why I would have voted. It, 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 it's a good point. You're making the point I was about to make. I would have voted no in, in the possible possibility, Nick, that I would ever be elected alderman. I would have, if I were. I got elected, anybody <laughs> could be elected. <laughs> that's not true. Uh, uh, I, I would have voted no uh, on the issue of the mental health clinics. And it would have the same principle. That was another tough yeah. one, but we had a lot of negotiating with that. We had a lot of, you know, and everything and yeah the, you know so I, I think I think the mayors and, and the people they bend it a little bit on this we got a little bit better I think there's a lot of negotiation I think if you were to talk to ask me about it they're they're pretty happy with what the aldermen did to, yeah that's a serious issue not only in Chicago but across well, we just had this instance I know you and I are probably going to debate this one forever but let's just, just take it in the abstract where uh, the two police officers have been relieved of their policing duties uh, because of the incident that happened I forget where exactly I was out of town when it happened but a gentleman uh, allegedly spit in one of the police officers face and the police officer threw him down and the two police officers have been suspended from their duties and they say that the gentleman uh, that was arrested, he's now being charged, uh, has mental health issues. So, right, but how are they supposed to know that? Well, I mean, all they know is he was arrested 19 times for his priors. But so. let me get to my point. Okay. And my point is this this is a recurring theme in the city of Chicago. Yes. Police are being asked to act like social workers, mm -hmm. they're being asked to deal with, uh, right there on the street, with issues of mental health. So, we as a city, should be going in the direction of providing more substantial mental health instead yes. of just dumping it on the yes, police officers. Yes. Hey, as a fireman, we saw the same thing as a fireman. We'd have them, you know, we have to call the police, we'd have to get help. I mean, I, we've had many battles with combative, you know, people that suffered from mental health, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I know, I saw it, been there, done it. So. Yeah, so that's why I'm thinking as a, symb a symbolic vote. Yeah. Well, this city cannot set aside and, the money. And I believe needs. some of my colleagues did say that that wasn't an, enough for mental health. So Absolutely. Yeah. So that's why I'm and saying. And there can never be enough for mental health, really, as far as I'm concerned. So uh, so even if I did not sit in at one hearing, yeah. like you were saying, even yeah. if I was an alderman who spent my time at home watching highlights of the Bulls game, which I'm not saying that's what those aldermen did who weren't there, but even if I were to do that, which yeah. is kind of what I would do if I were an alderman, uh, I would still have walked in and voted no because they didn't open up any of those clinics that they closed, Nick. Okay. And this that's like a pressing issue that it seems to me the city is ducking. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think we're trying. We make, we're making strides, so... I don't, I don't have the total answer on it. That is, that is a very difficult one, so. All right, uh, now let's get down to the issue of uh, the Chicago teachers, and you wanted to talk about that. Uh, you wanted to talk about uh, that. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, You're glad that I wanted to, I was gonna talk about it with you, so. Uh, I'm a big supporter of the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, and I. As, I. as I have been for eight years. 
Yes, I was about to say uh, that Nick was on stage in 2012 when the teachers went on strike. I probably named the other aldermen. I think there were three other aldermen. Right, and I was a I was a freshman alderman, and I had told the one of the CTU organizers, "Look, I'm just coming to see what's going on. I just want to learn. I'm not. Don't call me up to talk. I'm this or that." And I got wrapped up in a moment, and you know, it was all from that point on. It was rah rah rah. I'm there for you. I'm with you. I go to Springfield for you. Whatever you need me to do, you're on strike. I'm out there with your teachers. Blah blah blah. So. And so you were with the teachers in this strike as well? The teachers, yes. But the union, no. Not happy with the union, right. So Which disappointed, disappointed. So let's just put, uh, let me lay it, lay it out here for you. And uh, I, For eight years. So first of all, and I don't like mentioning names, but I will mention a name because this is a positive way. For eight years, there was a handful of us that were always there for the teachers. The number one guy by far, by far, was John Arena. And, and I, I don't think anybody would dispute that as far as the teachers were. Hey, you're talking about in terms of the aldermen? The support, aldermen that always would be there for whatever, mm -hmm. was John Arena. John Arena's gone, you know. Now I'm here standing. I think I'm, nobody has done more for me in the, in the, in the past eight years. Nobody's more done more for the CTU than me. There might be equals, you might say Scott or Leslie, might be my equal, but certainly nobody more to me. If John Arena was still around, he would be number one, and I would be tied for second with whoever else. This time around, they put an endorsement out, and I wasn't on the endorsement, and I was a little disappointed. So I call my CTU organizer, and I'm like, I wasn't on that list. Um, what's going on? He's like, oh, that's just a progressive caucus. I'm like, oh, no, it's not. There's somebody else on there that's not in the progressive caucus. He said, oh, well, that's only people that have races. I said, no, that's not the case either. So-and-so doesn't have a race. And he's like, oh, you got nothing to worry about, Nick. You know, you're always there for us. We're going to be with you, blah, blah, blah. I said, all right. I go, you know what? I may not have a race. It may not be a big deal. Right now, some guy's claiming to run against me. We don't know. All right. Shakes out. Okay, the guy who was running against me ended up not being able to run against me. They call me in. They want to interview me for the endorsement. And I'm like, well, I'm running an oppose now. I mean, so it really doesn't mean anything. Nah, we just want you to come in. You got it. You know, nothing to worry about. Okay. Well, I came in and they treated me like crap. I wasn't happy with the way they treated me. Um, and some other Northwest Side aldermen weren't treated too well. So, so I don't know if they have an issue with Northwest Side aldermen, if they have an issue with me. I mean, they're asking social issue questions. I mean, I mean, the first question they asked me was, you know, well, what are you going to do for us? I'm like, what am I going to do for you? I'm like, I'm going to do the same thing I've done for you the past eight years. I went to Springfield. I did this. I'm about at your rallies. I, when you're on strike, you know, I tell them everything. And they're like, we don't, we don't care what you did in the past. We want to know what you're going to do in the future. I'm like, well, I don't really know what to tell you other than I'm going to do the same thing in the future that I did in the past. And, and it ends up, you know, not, not a good interview, but it wraps up with a girl. I could just see she's got fire in her eyes just staring at me. And she goes... I saw you on Fox News, and I was appalled at what you said. I said, well, what did I say? She said, you're, you're against immigrants. I said, I never said that. I support immigrants. I said, I'm against illegal immigration. There's a big difference. We have laws in our country, blah, blah, blah. I lay it all out. Shuts her up. That's the end of it. Okay. I don't know. Three, four weeks goes by. I never hear nothing. I reach out. I'm like, hey, whatever happened to that endorsement? You know? They're like, oh, they decided not to give me endorsement. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. What? I'm running unopposed. I've carried your water for eight years, and this is the way you treat your friends? So I've been stewing about it ever since. So when I went out to see all my teachers and brought them their treats and talked to them and everything, I let them know that I support them, but I, 
I have some issues with the CTO. Well, let's hope those issues could be cleared up. Well, I, I hope so, too. Yeah. I mean, I'm still waiting for the phone call. I'm sure you got a lot of CTU listeners here, and they're going to be, you know, talking crap about me or something. But I don't think the CTU leadership would deny that how loyal and how helpful I've been through them for, you know, the eight years. Well, I'll say this about uh, Nick Spazzato. Uh, as you could tell, there's a lot of things we don't agree on. Uh, we could go down a whole list, starting with what he just said about immigration, but I'm going to put that to the side because we're, we're running out of time here for today's show. We'll bring you back next month. We can discuss immigration. Uh, we've debated in the times in your show abortion rights. We've debated on the show Donald Trump versus uh, Bernie Sanders. I would vote for Bernie Sanders in a heartbeat over Donald Trump. Gee, that's a shocker. <laughs> that's a shocker. Is there any for- Democrat you wouldn't vote for in a heartbeat over him? No. Every one of them. Every Democrat. Wait, time out. What Democrat would Wait. you not vote for over Donald Trump? Uh, uh, Dan Lipinski versus Donald Trump. <laughs> no. Can I think about that I one mean, for I a mean, while? I mean, I mean the real <laughs> candidates right now, the presidential oh, no. candidates. Right. Oh, my. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, were you a big Beto guy? No. Okay. I'm Bernie. I was, I voted for Bernie in 2016. Okay. Bernie Sanders, to me, represents... He's so unconventional. In his own way, he's like you. And he's honest. Yeah. Right. He, and, and respect him for his honesty. Yeah, he's just so unconventional, yeah. so I kind of like him for that. Yeah. But he says things. I mean, when I see, hear Bernie Sanders, Nick, I feel like, oh my, this is like a column I wrote. You know what I'm saying? It sounds like, so how could I not be for Bernie for having the guts to stand up for things that are unpopular yeah. and get him vilified? So Bernie's my number one, but uh, listen, we'll debate Donald Trump at a later He's the bar is so low. How about you have me in after the election? Oh. Uh, I mean, after the November election? Yeah. yeah. Oh, after the, oh. oh, we could do it. Uh, we could do the March one too if you want. Yeah, we could have you I'll more, come twice. Wait, a few more times before that. You could be here. Rob, Rob, my, my candidate one, my candidate one. Well, you can't lose because any one of those nineteen are your candidates. Or I don't is, know, maybe twenty five by then. I don't know. Well, let me put it to you this way: there are are some. My whole life is a Democrat, basically a Democrat. I've been uh, there's been many candidates that I voted for that I was not doing it with full support. You know, I was like, all right, I'll vote for this guy. Have you ever voted for a Republican? Uh, yes. Okay. Good. I just I, I remembered one from 1980. Oh, really? I voted for you... Bernard Carey over oh. Richard M. Daley for oh. state's attorney. In and how about uh, Judy Bartopinka? You never voted for her? No. Who, I voted for the Green Party candidate oh. uh, in 2006 against it. She was running for governor as a Republican against uh, Rob Blagojevich, who you mm-hmm. voted for, I'm sure. Yes, and, I did. <laughs> so uh, you're not too proud of that vote uh, at the moment. But uh, anyway, all right. Uh, Nick Spazzato is his name. <clears throat> He's the alderman from the 38th Ward. Nick, thank you very much for coming in and sparring with me. And I appreciate you coming in. Uh, Thanks and for your friendship. I appreciate you. I'll bring you back. We've known each other like nine years now. So uh, Yes. at the P- uh, I got news for you. It's longer than nine years. We're older than Oh, that's that. right. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, it, it was after the 2007, 11, I, uh, 2007 election I contacted you. That is, right. That's correct. I've been here for yes. 12, 12 years, years yeah. Nick Spazzato. Um, anyway, Nick Spazzato, the Alderman of the 38th Ward. Thank you so much. also want to thank Ed Maher, Miles Conflassen. Excellent job by Miles, as always. And, of course, 
And before we get out of here, we do have an update, all right? Uh, yeah, I have some, well, I had some audio to play, but with Mr. Spazato in our studio at the moment, I decided that it would not be a good idea to play uh, the latest audio from Howard Stern's interview with Hillary Clinton. All right? Oh, my. We <laughs> want our listeners to, you know, to, you know. She's back. She's coming back. <laughs> see people, what I'm saying? The people want her. We want the our people listeners. people want her. We want our listeners to somewhat I would like love you, to Mr. Hear Spazato. Nick Spazato and so, Hillary Clinton. We're going to try and play that audio tomorrow, but okay. instead, how about a Mayor Lori Lightfoot update. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. All right. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman. Lori Lightfoot is headed to Iowa to interview your favorite, Ben. Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh. <laughs> but not to endorse him. With the Iowa caucus, uh, caucuses just two months away, Mayor Lori Lightfoot will be there on Friday to interview presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, but not endorse her campaign for the South Bend mayor. Lightfoot will interview Buttigieg as part of a presidential forum hosted by Accelerator for America Action in the U.S. Conference of mayors. The forum will pair mayors who have not made presidential endorsements with five Democratic presidential candidates or contenders, Buttigieg, Julian Castro, Tom Steyer, and U.S. Senators Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota and Cory Booker of New Jersey. Oh, she's going to interview them. Well, yeah, you know, I'm uh, uh, Nick, I got to tell you this. Dennis was teasing me. I'm not a huge fan of Mayor Pete, uh, and it gets to the heart of what you were uh, talking about. I like candidates who say what they think and are very open about what, where they're coming from. Uh, and they're not wishy-washy and they're not blowing in the wind. Yep. And Mayor Pete to me is the epitome of the latter. So I'll take Bernie in a heartbeat over Mayor Pete any day. So uh, that's that's why he was teasing me when he goes, your favorite Ben, Mayor Pete. I know you're a huge fan of Mayor Pete. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, want, I want a 35-year-old kid who can't run a small town, a small city uh, to be our president. Yeah. In fairness to Mayor Pete, he's 37. All right, very good, uh, Nick Spazzato. Uh, and uh, as I was saying, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And uh, as Nick Spazzato, I don't know. Uh, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. No one calls me that. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Downloaders, we live stream this program Tuesdays through Fridays. Uh, we'll... Coming soon, back to YouTube, all right? In two days, we'll be back on YouTube. But for now, you can catch us on Facebook, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook. Watch that Facebook video live stream. Shout out to everyone who joined us and watched and sent their comments. We'll be back on Facebook tomorrow, back on YouTube on Tuesday. We'll see you Friday. Friday.